0: Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. Hi there. Just a quick note before we begin. This episode discusses stillbirths, neonatal deaths and pregnancy loss, which some listeners may find upsetting. In 2005, Cork woman, Mary Cregan, found out she was expecting her seventh child, Liliana.
1: From the time I got pregnant, I just didn't feel right from the start and um, I was getting an awful lot of people telling me how God, I was hysterical and all that, everything was fine. But the week before then, um, I said it to my consultant that um, I felt she wasn't moving as much as she could, but they said, look, you know, I've only a week to go and that's okay.
0: But even though Mary was assured that everything was fine by the medical professionals, she still felt that something wasn't quite right.
1: I noticed that two days beforehand at a team meeting at my day job, I was trying to get everything finished so I could finish up um, work that week and that she really was going crazy and jumping around the place in the um, team meeting and I had to hide my belly, Do you know, I thought my God, what's going on here? And thinking, oh, she's dying to get out and it's great. I know now from my research and I know now from what I've learned is that she was actually struggling.
0: It was during a follow-up scan that Mary was told the devastating news. Liliana had no heartbeat.
1: Like the sight of that scan, that silent scan, is the loneliest thing you'll ever see and one of the most traumatic and um, I never thought it could be so, so shocking. And my life then was before that and after that.
0: Since then, Mary has joined together with a group of bereaved parents to set up the charity Failocon, which helps others who are going through that same grieving process. And there are a lot of them. Every year in Ireland, there are between 100 and 150 neonatal deaths. This is when a baby dies within the first 28 days of their life. So why then, in 2022, are stillbirths and neonatal deaths still a taboo subject? And how can groups like Félicón bring this to the nation's attention? I'm Sarah Pollock and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today... Why it's time to end the silence around stillbirths and baby loss. Mary, leading up to that final scan with Liliana, can you describe what was it that gave you that instinctual feeling as a mother which told you that something just wasn't right? And a very deep
1: loneliness. If that makes sense, um, I just felt very lonely and quiet and she wasn't moving. Now, there were some, they call them the phantom movements. You know, it would be other other physiology comes into play. And, um, you know, I just thought, oh, no, no, I'm imagining this like we can fool ourselves in such ways, you know, when we don't want to face the truth. And but there was I just felt so lonely and bereft. It's so it as if I knew, you know,
0: that she was gone. Tell me about the the days that followed uh, giving birth to Liliana because you you, you did give birth to her and um, the supports that were available to you and your partner and what you needed at that time.
1: Yeah, well, you don't know what you need, especially then when there was so little um, knowledge of support, really. So I went home and um, I'm glad I did. I'm glad there was no bed available because I had time to think and I met my family. My aunt met me at the door and... And, you know, people, I just was, I think, in complete shock. I watched television that night. I still remember the ads that were on. I remember the programs that were on. I have a forensic memory of that evening. Mm. And then people were watching me the whole time, you know, and seeing she okay And, you know, mithering over me. I went in the next morning then and they were very kind. Now the girl um, that I had to ring to let them know was coming. She was very kind, I have to say, and that helped. The midwife that looked after me, I remember for the rest of my life, I remember her kindness, her compassion, her her respect of my little infant. And remember, this wasn't as common then as it is uh, as it is now. So she was very respectful of Liliana and called her by her name. And my, and when I got my notes afterwards, she had um, she said Liliana and Mary. Like, um it wasn't mom and baby. Mm. In the end, I had a horrendous labor and which was new to me and um, I had a massive hemorrhage after it, and because of that, I went into surgery. In a way that saved me, it saved my life anyway, but it also saved me that I was medicated afterwards. So I didn't have to face the truth for a while. And the days in the hospital I was in for a few days, a good few days afterwards, meant that Liliana was with me. I know she was changing now and all of that, but um, she was with me. And so she was still there and you're kind of cocooned in the hospital and um. When we faced home then, we kept Liliana for two nights. The kids then, the younger kids, decorated her coffin and little things like that. And we were able to plan a nice funeral for her, even though it was very quiet. And uh, yeah, then she, um, uh, by Friday then, it was all over. So Friday to Friday, it all happened.
0: How did you explain to your other children about what had happened? I mean, obviously, the older children would be able, they'd understand. But the younger ones, how did you explain?
1: Uh well, badly I think we just told them the baby was gone, that there was no heartbeat. Like no, we would do it very differently, but um, and it wasn't me anyway because um, it was done before I came home. My sister did it, and she did her best, of course. We all did. Like I'm not blaming her in any way. She's it was a huge support. She was just amazing at the time. Both my sisters were. So yeah, we just told them, and um, they were absolutely horrified. They were connected with her, and but they did come to see her. Uh, once and we didn't understand then you know we could have done a lot more but we know now you know and we've we've passed on that that uh, you know our experience to help other parents
0: what did the world look like for you in January 2006 after you'd gone through this how how did you face into that year after what you'd gone through
1: very grey, and I used to just dread Friday Saturday and Sunday because I'd live through the whole thing again and um, like I knew for at the time I was a psychiatric social worker and kind of knew I was traumatized, you know, and I knew there was no shortcut. Like I knew that, you know, there was suffering with this that had to be got through. I suppose for me, the first time I felt half normal was well, like I cried every day for at least 10, 11 weeks. I remember I just wait till people would go and I just cry and cry. But I kept trying to pretend I was OK for the other kids. And then the time changed, you know, and the clock um, springs forward in, um, as they say, then I didn't know, is it half one? No, cause she was born at half one on a Sunday. Is it half one? No, is it half two? Is it half twelve? You know, And yeah. that actually, that's shifted and um, that I let that part go then. And that was a huge relief to me. And I was lucky that it was only, you know, from January to March.
0: Mary, in the 12 years that Felicon has been operating as a charity and helping grieving parents, how much has the conversation around stillbirths and neonatal deaths changed here in Ireland? I mean, are people still very uncomfortable discussing this? Is it still taboo like the way that it was?
1: It certainly is still a taboo subject. The discomfort, I think, is around not knowing that people don't know what to say and there's also it's one of those things that you have to experience to get a real sense to understand, you know, the depths of it. And um, because of that, people don't know what to say to you. They don't know what kind of comfort you want. They don't know how to help you. Um, They think it's better. Look, if you had another baby, would that be OK? But yes, what we try to suggest to people while you're saying that it means that the baby whose last doesn't count, do you know, when my sister died, no one said to me, but you marry, you have another one, you know, where they told me, look, you have a house full of kids, get on with it. And it, I suppose at the time I was cross, I know I was with people, but no, I think it's that they, they, they want you to be the way you are too. They want you to be the confident, competent person you know, and suddenly they have this sad person, this lonely woman or man who's yearning for what they can't have and seemingly they feel holding on to something that's gone and isn't there and that never was. So that's what we're trying to say to people is um, the loss of a baby is not an event, it's a process. And that one thing happens and the rest of
0: your life you're processing it in different ways. In this day and age, Mary, for the small number of women and their partners who do lose their baby in um, neonatal or stillbirth circumstances. What kind of supports are available to them in hospitals now in 2022? And when they go home, do these supports continue? I mean, how long do you think they need to remain in place?
1: Well, every case is different. Every situation, every family is different. Some families don't want connection with the hospital. Others do. It depends on what happened and how your baby died. Um, from my understanding and from what I'm hearing um, out, in, out and about is that the care continues as long as it's needed. You know, some women will have to go ahead into a, a new pregnancy very quickly because of the age or because of, you know, maybe they have uh, you know, lots of reasons, and they're going to need support like for a couple of years at least. Now, of course, we're talking about resources. And lately we've had between the cyber attack on the HSE and between COVID, uh, things are not as they should be. But I know frontline staff are really, really doing their best to get to uh, parent's. There also are a number of organisations. It's not just us, there's more. And, um, you know, sometimes one organisation will fit your needs more than another will. Um, you can't be all things to all people. Like we try to provide a basic service that's comprehensive, if you know what I mean, and that the parents will get their memory box, a cuddle cat if they want to bring their baby home, um, a volunteer to help them. Like we're way behind in our services at the moment. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, so are the, the frontline services. But families are
0: supposed to get the support they need. Mary, I want to bring this back to your own family situation again, because in 2020, your daughter Aoife, who had worked with Felicon, went through the same horrific experience or a similar experience um, that you had when she gave birth to her baby boy. Can you tell us a bit about Dara and, and what happened there?
1: Aoife had a perfect pregnancy. Everything was fine until the last minute. We still don't know what happened. You know, the inquest has not... Uh, throwing up any new information we don't know and it's something we're going to have to learn to live with but Aoife is a volunteer with them um, with fail like she's a, is by trade's an accountant and she um accounts technician and everything adds up for her you know so she's very practical and uh, and I remember her getting the memory boxes into the CUMH uh, the week before she knew she would be going out you know, for maternity leave. And she was the coordinator, the volunteer who coordinated the memory boxes. And I never thought we would get one of our own, you know, like her. My other daughter helps her as well. She's a nurse and she would um, said every time we close the ribbon, she said, you know, we think of who's going to get it and who will be opening it. And um, we never thought it would be us. So Dara, yeah, he just died just before. Well, they he was there was in think was an ischemic um, event, they call it. And uh, just before birth, all hell broke loose. And the minute he was born, um, you know, this all happened within minutes. He was uh, rushed into neonatal. He was revived and lived for three days. Beautiful. Well over nine pounds, gorgeous little baby. And we don't know what happened. But we knew what to do. And we have our Dara days now and... He's remembered, he's part of the family. He has a little brother. If you ask him where's Dara, like he points up to heaven up to the sky. and when Eva got married, then recently to Dara's dad, obviously, and um she had a lovely little blue charm with an angel um, and Dara's picture t- hidden in her bouquet, and um we had a little pink pair of shoes up in the altar with some uh, baby's breath in it to you know that Liliana was there too. And something for my sister, you know, so they're part of our family. They're part of us. A Felicon is a huge part of our family. Most of us volunteer with this um, for various reasons now. And um, that's what we do. You know, this is our way of keeping the, um, I suppose, of giving back to the support that we got. You know, that I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't met the people I did along the way. And I just well, hope I support somebody else.
0: How much do we know about why stillbirths and neonatal deaths are still happening in 2022 in hospitals in a developed country like Ireland or in other nations across Western Europe?
1: If you go into any of the research and to keep it as simple as possible, there's a number, Most of the babies who will die have, an, um, you know, maybe a condition that will not, um, they, that they won't survive. It'll be, there's a lot of language out there around it and we're careful what we say, but that they would have maybe... Um, you know, a congenital condition that they won't be able to live. And then we would have issues with mothers and mother's health, you know, and with preeclampsia and we've all those, but they should be picked up and they should be dealt with. And then there's a small section, I think it's about 20%, but I'm open to correction on that, that we just don't know. Uh, placental issues take a high, um, is a high rate then of, of after um, anomalies in a little baby, but that there is a certain amount, like my daughter, which is prob- was probably placental, and with Dara, that we just don't know, you know, and um, intrapartum deaths, like, you know, a baby that dies just at birth, is um, they're rare. But we just half the time don't know what it is. We just don't know. And there needs to be more research into why, what led up to this, what was it.
0: Is there any data available around whether some babies or some mothers are more at risk of stillbirth or neonatal death than others?
1: Yeah. I mean that's well out there and again just to keep it simple um older mothers we know that mothers um with high blood pressure uh you know that they think now that that's actually less of an issue than it used to be but anybody if anyone's listening to this that is any issue then you need to get into your doctor and and shout hard um uh, there's also um the age of the mother is is one of the the red flags there's also um other underlying issues that you would have congenital issues yourself and but the health of the mother is, is um is is huge in it you know um also sometimes like babies just the way they land you know that um there are preventable stillbirths then in the you know mothers like myself would have an inkling that something's not right we hear too often that there was changed foetal movement and that the mother just felt couldn't put her finger on it. And we would say to caregivers, the professional caregivers, you must listen to the mother.
0: Last year, Mary, there were calls from the National Perinatal Epidemiology Centre for an official inquiry into stillbirths and neonatal deaths in Ireland. What would that entail and why do you think that inquiry is needed now? Fela is actually supporting um, a PhD study uh,
1: with the doctors doing her PhD at the moment on um, looking at uh, stillbirths and especially the ones that uh, we don't have reasons for. And it's like a post-mortem. You know, I did not have a post-mortem for Liliana. I was told, so. you'll never find out anyway. And I regretted that afterwards. But I just didn't want her touched. You know, she was delicate enough after she was born because it took me a couple of days to have her. And um, with Dara, then at least we knew what he didn't die of. You know, that we knew he didn't have this, he didn't have that because he did have his post-mortem. Now it was a coroner's post-mortem anyway, so we had no choice. But um, I I would say to parents now when they're thinking about consenting is that maybe we won't find out what took your baby, but you'll find out what didn't. And every post-mortem result examination yields some kind of um, information you know they're all just threads but that thread will make a tapestry of information someday that we will know what's happening our babies and the inquiry I think will bring all this information there might be information out there that's making no sense on its own but bring it all together and um You know, that we might be finding reasons why this is happening. And also, if there's an inquiry, it brings it out into the public, it brings it out into the professional zone as well. You know, it brings it to their awareness. So that something that they might think, oh, no, that's okay. They'll actually let me have another look here. Let's just check again and make sure that everything is okay.
0: Mary. Figures from Eurostat show that Ireland's infant mortality rate is below the EU average and far below EU countries like Romania, Bulgaria and Slovakia. And our own HSE data shows that Ireland's perinatal mortality rate, which is defined as the number of stillbirths and deaths of babies which occur within seven days of their birth, that dropped by more than 16% between 2010 and 2019. But Ireland's perinatal mortality rate did increase slightly towards the end of the decade, right?
1: Before 2012, it was going down every year and it's been going up and down since. Now, I know there was a 2018 to 19 was, um, you know, a spike in stillbirths. And I think now we're we're right up there, you know, and the UK and ourselves are... Um, But the UK are handling it and looking at it, they have parliamentary parties, all party, parliamentary groups. And we're hoping to to look into that as well, to try and um, to look at what's happening with um, all issues around uh, pregnancy loss, not just stillbirth, but neonatal death and pregnancy loss as well.
0: Finally, Mary, the UN has set a goal of ending all preventable stillbirths worldwide by 2030. So we're talking about the the, the huge numbers that would happen in still in the developing world as well do you think that's a realistic goal oh that's a really hard question um
1: i would hope we would aspire to it because if we don't aspire to it it'll never happen but uh, i know with all the the initiatives we have we haven't you know um, eradicated preventable deaths by car accident or road traffic accidents we haven't uh, yeah, prevented deaths by suicide, you know, the families have to deal with those tragedies. So I would imagine we will never be able to uh, obliterate it completely, but I would certainly want to aspire to it and hope for it. And if it's in the back of our minds when we're caring for, for women who are pregnant, um, that if it's, you know, that we want to make sure that, and we always do, but if there's, um, you know, this goal is in mind, I think it can only, it can only forward the, the cause of really stopping preventable stillbirths.
0: Mary, can I just ask if for any listeners today who have recently or maybe not so recently gone gone through the trauma of a stillbirth or a neonatal death, what would you say to them? From
1: Phala point of view, you're not on your own. You might think, you know, look, it's 10 years, it's 40 years. It's like we have supported women whose babies were born 60 years ago, you know, to find graves and to, to find registration. We don't always succeed, but we try and we get something anyway. And my... My suppose my message would be you're not on your own, you know um it's not just us there's other organizations out there too, but you're not on your own and um and please contact us if you think we can help you know we'll give you um if you want it a um candle with your baby's name um on it that you can light every day and if you want to you know that you're not on your own, we understand how you're feeling just because it's been in the past doesn't mean. We don't understand that either, you know, and think we get to the ends of our lives sometimes. And I've seen this with them. some my own relations, we look back and try to make sense of our lives. And sometimes the things that jump out, know, of the things that are not resolved and the pains and the hurts can seem very fresh again. And mothers especially think that they're, you know, they're going crazy, but they're not at all. Like it's um, it's you're just resolving and, you know, don't do it on your own. we will help
0: any way we can. Mary Cregan, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. That's it for today's episode. My thanks to our guest, Mary Cregan, for joining us. If you have been affected by any of the issues discussed in today's podcast, please check out phalicon.ie or hsc.ie for support. Today's episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable sky broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable sky broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base.